0: Today, we continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, picking up in Matthew 10 and reading verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 42. There's an outline found on pages six and seven, mainly just to give some hangers to where we're headed here. We want to welcome those visiting with us this morning as well. Hear now the word of God. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us today by his Holy Spirit. Ed Welch says that fear and anxiety are regular features Of daily life. Do you recognize that? Either in the background or in the forefront. They say that we are powerless and weak in ourselves, that there are troubles ahead, that things we love and cherish are at risk, and for some of those things, there's not much we can do about it. He says, and in this sense, they are correct. What does he mean? Their specific predictions are often off. They don't tell the whole story, but Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, as disciples, what did you expect when you trusted me? He says, you might wish your fears away, but actually it's recognizing how dependent we are on Christ, how we need his power and grace, that these fears help us to bring us to Jesus. Fear is an alarm that something is wrong. We use other words sometimes. Stress. Worry. I'm jittery. Pressure. On edge. My wife sometimes says to me, you're just on edge tonight. Yeah, sometimes, right? Sometimes it's because I'm hangry. (laughs) I'm hungry and I'm angry and I'm all sorts of things inside. Sometimes, yeah, I'm I'm on edge. And I'm not bringing that to the Lord like I should. Anger is is often fear that has some fight left in it. Depression can be fear that's given up. It's dark. Addictions are powerful, but ultimately ineffective ways to keep our fears and anxieties at bay. Scripture tells us our fears are everywhere. When I am afraid, the psalm says what? Hold that thought. In 2022, there was a poll of the top 10 fears in America. Corrupt government officials, nuclear war, people I love dying, economic and financial collapse. You can add artificial intelligence and all that that might bring. The fears are many. You could pile them higher than this ceiling. But what is missing from the list of fears as you go online and Google it? What's not there? When I am afraid, the psalmist says, I put my trust in you. What's missing is a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus here wants to encourage you in that. When the Bible over 300 times says, do not be afraid, it's not beating you up. It's not saying, try harder. It's not saying, you're valueless, you're worthless. It's saying, God has compassion on you. It's reminding you of God's love for you. God knows our weakness, He knows our frame. He knows persecution is coming. The Lord is present. He is sovereign over today and over tomorrow. So we can now have courage in our God-given callings today. Whether persecution comes, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. First, God's promises in the midst of persecution and in the preaching of the gospel that results in these things. Jesus, in the context of Matthew 9 and 10, is sending out the 12, the apostles, in fulfillment of the prayer that was made for the Lord to raise up laborers for the harvest. They're going on this specific short-term mission to the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says, you're being commissioned. You will not have gone through all of Israel, verse 23, before the Son of Man comes. You see that? One of the most difficult verses in all the Bible, to properly understand. We better just mention this early. There's different views. Is this talking about 70 A.D., the destruction of the temple? Is this talking about Christ returning at the end of history? Maybe. One Orthodox Presbyterian church pastor, Peter Wallace, says, the coming of the Son of Man, verse 23, that comes from the book of Daniel, he says, where the Son of Man comes where? Where? To the right hand of God the Father. So he is saying the 12 will not complete their tasks to the lost tribes of Israel before Jesus has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You might agree, you might not. We got to get that out of the way early. Where are they headed? They're headed as sheep in the midst of wolves. Kids, what happens when a sheep is put on the gunflint trail next to a pack of hungry wolves? That sheep is devoured. Spiritual enemies will tear to pieces with words, violence, and persecution, and even death, the ambassadors, the apostles sent out. Not only that, but Jesus looks forward beyond his ascension. There will be the day when you'll be handed over courts and councils. Paul before Festus and Felix and Agrippa. Peter and John who heal a man, they're arrested, they're put in prison, they're released, they preach the gospel again, they're beaten. Stephen will be stoned. James will be killed by Herod. In the days of Nero, Christians are burned and put to death. In the pioneer days of bringing the gospel to Africa, missionaries would pack their possessions in a coffin. They weren't expecting to return home. Throughout history, Jesus tells us, remember Genesis 3, Satan and his seed are raging against Christ and his church and his people, the seed of the serpent." The devil uses the beast from the sea revelation, the God-blaspheming, church-persecuting state to malign and slander and kill God's people. What did you expect? Persecution. What else should you expect, Christian? Division. Matthew ten thirty four. This is one of those shocking words of Christ. You read it and you think, what am I reading? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus says. Not peace, but a sword. Is that in the Bible? It is. Didn't Jesus bring peace? Wasn't that the whole expectation of the Old Testament? The lion will lie down with the lamb? The prophets look for the day when Christ will rule and establish peace from sea to sea? Is that the expectation? It is. Jesus is the prince of peace. He doesn't contradict himself. But he understands that when the gospel is preached, along with the law, peace and strife, reconciliation and division comes. Why is that? Because the law says we're all sinners. And there's no peace if someone denies that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. The other is that the gospel says the only way to a right relationship with God is by faith in Jesus. There's no peace if we deny the exclusivity of Christ, who He is, and what He did. The comedian Jim Carrey is not right when he said, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Christian. I am whatever you want me to be. It's all the same, isn't it? Isn't it all general morality and teaching the same thing? It's not. Jesus draws a line down the middle of the human race. Is he the son of God? Is he the only savior of sinners or not? When you become a Christian, some of you maybe have experienced this. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You become a Christian, and now the relationship with your family is very different. In other parts of the world, you become a Christian, and you are hunted. Voice of the Martyrs talks about this. You're kicked out of your family. You're ostracized economically. You're put in prison. You're put to death. Imagine a family of five. A dad, a mom a brother, a sister, and then an in-law. One of them is saved. Jesus takes these words right out of Micah 7, verse 6. The father and the father-in-law, the daughter and the daughter-in-law, the father and the son, the brother and the sister, the brother and the brother, they're at each other. We don't need to imagine what this looks like. We see it, don't we? And we may see more of it. You are in exile, Emmaus wrote, so am I. Imagine the day a brother hears that his brother's a Christian. He sends a text message. He posts something. The police come. They drag off this new Christian. He's in jail. He disappears. He's put to death. Jesus says those kind of things can be expected to happen. Not because the Christian hates their unconverted relatives, but because darkness loves darkness. And the unbeliever will be repulsed at times by this new believer in their home. Thanksgiving was way better when you weren't a Christian. Way more fun. You were a lot more fun. What's wrong with you? What happened to you? I want the old Joe back, not this guy. Verse 37. Do you love father or mother more than me, Jesus says? These are quite the verses. Jesus calls us to honor our father and mother, to love our brother and sister. We can't love each other too much, but we can idolize each other. That's what Jesus is getting at. The family and the understanding of male and female and marriage has been trashed in our world, but the alternative to that is not saying, I love my spouse more than Jesus. I love my kids more. More than Jesus. We are to love Christ more than even our dearest. Our marriage then shouldn't just turn inward on ourselves, where we're just all about us, but loving one another to serve our neighbor around us. Yes, we love our kids, we love the activities they have at the different stages of life they're in. Praise God. But we must not let sports or art or whatever activities so swallow us and our kids up that there's no time for the Lord's Day. There's no time for worshiping the Lord. There's no time for really serving anyone else. We're just about ourselves. That's a danger. We recognize it with the kids we have. We love these things. But if our whole week is all about us, God have mercy. To be a follower of Jesus is to love him, not just to believe in him. Do you remember what Jesus says to Simon Peter? Simon, do you really love me? As Jack Miller said, What have you and I done for Jesus simply because we loved him? It's a thought to think about. Jesus goes on. Verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Remember, Jesus here is not saying literally every person will hate you. There are many Christians who will love you. But he's saying every kind of person will reject the message. And they'll hate the messenger. If you believe in the truth of Christianity, maybe already it's affected your relationships among family, among business associates, among neighbors, among friends? You believe that arrogant Christ? You believe what he says in his law that we read today, those Ten Commandments? You, you believe that's God's holiness expressed and his righteousness? Every time we are faithful to Christ, we will face opposition. Different times, different places, different ways, different persecutions, but it will come. Carl Truman, many of you have read his book or have heard of it, A Strange New World. He says, it is a hardy perennial, picture a hardy flower, of church history that every generation believes itself to be living in a time of terminal spiritual decline. It was true in the days of Luther, 1500s, and it is true today. God is sovereign. He is building his church. Christ wins. The Lamb triumphs. The church of Christ is in him. But, he says, that may not be our congregation or our denomination unless we act faithfully and wisely. Truman's a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, a sister denomination with us. That requires, he says, a degree of understanding how the times are changing. If you want the article, it's on our church social media page. I can send it to you. I'm not going to read it all. But he said this. Perhaps the most important shift in our culture in the U.S. is one from where religious differences were located in the private sphere and the public sphere was neutral to one where religious differences are highly contested in the public sphere and the private square is rapidly vanishing. The day we're living... The moral consensus has collapsed in this country. There's a pressure on the church that has not been seen in this country before. Politicalization, social media, public virtue, anger, lack of forgiveness, identity politics. All of this is a part of this. He says Christian morality is contested in the public at almost every point. The rise of polarized identity politics... As well, what's the root here? What's going on? Here's what he says. They reflect society's confusion and lack of consensus about what it means to be human. Justice Jackson, what is a woman? She couldn't answer it. We live in a strange new world. Truman says, we can expect the church to be increasingly decried, despised. It will be harder to be a Christian in this world. You will be mocked and reviled. To reject the chaotic anthropology of our culture, he says, whether we're talking sexuality, gender, or race, is to become the object of accusations of bigotry, evil, and in our psychologized world, he says, violence. We need to understand the times, where we are right now. He says we live in apocalyptic times, not just in catastrophe and chaos, but there is a handing over, that the Lord is handing them over, Romans 1. But in an unveiling, what we see before us is what we have always known, but we sometimes don't realize. The church is in exile. We are in Babylon. The world is not our home. The question of all this is why? See how Jesus answers that? Jesus is, a, is our, our teacher and we are his disciples, verse 24. You are united to Christ. He is your head. You are his body. Your life is in him. Your righteousness is in him. When he died on the cross, you died to sin. When he was raised, you were raised. You still deal with indwelling sin, so do I. But your life is in Christ, and if he suffered, Philippians 3, you will suffer. Our union with Jesus is not static, it's growing. Our relationship with Christ, we are growing more into conformity to his image. If they called the master of the house Beelzebul, will they not malign you? See that in verse 25? Beelzebul, a name for the god Baal, lord of the dung. 2 Kings 1, Ahaziah is ill. The king of Israel wants messengers to ask of this god of the nations, Beelzebul, Satan, whether he'll recover from his illness. Elijah says, is it because there's no god in Israel that you're doing this? You will surely die, and he did die. The religious leaders are saying Christ is in cahoots with Satan. You will be slandered and maligned, much like that, if you confess Christ. Today in America, it is perhaps more complicated than at any other point in history in America, Truman says, and you and I need to know how to live. You are servants of the king here and now. How do you respond to all of this? Secondly, how to respond when persecuted? The first response, Jesus says, don't fear those who persecute you. Do you see that verse 26? How do we live in this exile? We're tempted to fear people. We're tempted to, because of our own sinful hearts, be so concerned about what people think of us but they're going to try to intimidate you. You have to realize, Jesus says, they're small. They're not giants like you think. Every wrong will be brought to light. Every injustice will be made right. Nothing will be left unpunished. It will all be exposed. It will all be judged. Don't fear them. They may kill your body. They may torture you before they kill you. They can't touch your soul. Jesus says, fear him who has authority over both body and soul to cast into hell. Satan wants us to believe hell doesn't exist. Jesus uses a word for hell here, referring to a picture from the Old Testament. A valley where the Jebusites would offer children in the fire as sacrifice to Molech. Ahaz and Manasseh followed it. Infants were put on the outstretched arms of this image and rolled into the flames. That's the picture. David conquers Jerusalem. The Jebusites are gone. The valley now is a dump outside the city. It's always on fire. It reeks It's continually burning, and Jesus uses that image for hell. Nothing we can imagine in this world is even close to the reality. Ever burning and abomination and slaughter. Jesus talks of hell more than anyone in the Bible. It's not Satan's kingdom, it's prison and death and suffering. God has authority over that. Don't fear men, fear the Lord. I deserve that hell. That's the first place to begin. I am a sinner deserving the condemnation of Almighty God. But Christ, He, as my Savior, as my substitute, underwent those fires for me. He bore the wrath and judgment I deserve. His perfect righteousness is mine, my sins are His. I don't need to fear any person anymore. I'm loved by God. Fear God as a Christian, loved ones, is not a slavish fear. It's not a fear of hell as a Christian. Do you know that? Christ has bore that for you. As a Christian, a fear of God is Psalm 130. With you, O God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Michael Reeves. It's understanding the goodness of God, he says it's recognizing the love of god for you it's adoring the and praising the mercy of god that's what the fear of god is it's not coming today thinking he's going to zap me it's coming being assured of his love for me if you're a believer if you're not a believer then we just talked about that repent and believe in jesus and you'll be saved how does he talk about this fear He reminds you of God's care for you. Don't you love that? Kids, do you see sparrows outside and migrating birds? God knows every one of those sparrows. Not one of them dies and is hit by a car or falls over apart from God's will. Children, God knows the hairs on your head and mom's head and dad's head and if there are no hairs, he knows that. And if there are many hairs, he knows that and On average, over 100,000 hairs we have. Are you more valuable than the Sparrow kids, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa? Yes, you are. You're made in God's image. Your life has value, honor, dignity, and worth. Children, listen in this day to God's word especially for all of us. Kids, if the voices of social media are telling you you're worthless, your life has no value, if you are hearing messages and being trashed in person or online by other people, don't hide it, kids. Don't bury it. Don't go home alone and think you're worthless. Talk to a trusted Christian. Talk to mom and dad. If you're thinking about harming yourself or taking your life, get help. Talk to us. Don't listen to those lies. They are lies from the devil. Look to Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows your head and your hairs. He knows your struggle and your pain. He knows what people say about you. It's not true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus says, not a hair of your head will perish, Luke 21. People may kill you. Your soul can't be touched. You are united to Christ. You can never be taken out of Christ. You face opposition. You feel worthless. Your value is in, you're made in God's image. You're loved by God's Son. Jesus didn't become a sparrow. He became a human. Not temporarily, but forever. Out of love for you. He will... truly give you all things you need in life and in death including courage how do you live in this strange new world how do you respond when persecution comes you fear the Lord you know his love for you you want to love him and you boldly confess Christ our faith is not private it's personal And public. Kids, it's not mom and dad's faith. It's your trust in God, your relationship with God in Christ. But it's not done in a corner. New members joined here publicly. Baptisms are public. The Lord's Supper is public. We confess Christ with courage publicly. And how? Matthew 10, 16. How do we handle the persecution that comes? The reviling. See verse 16? This is a rare combination. Only by the Spirit. With wisdom and innocence. Street smarts. Savvy. And purity of intention. Not compromising with evil. That's how we live in this strange new world. We need to pray here. God, give me grace, give me your spirit, and give me knowledge. Give me sound mind and judgment. Give me zeal, purity of intention. Right on my heart, 1 Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Help me to live that way, O God. And 2 Timothy 1. God gave you not a spirit of fear, not of cowardice, but of power and love and self-control. Literally, a sound mind. How do you respond when persecuted? Do not be anxious. Look at verse 19. You're going to be in a situation, Jesus says to the 12 and to all throughout church history in different ways, you will not know what to say. You will be ill and dying on your deathbed. You will be suffering and persecuted. And Jesus says, I will give you a mouth. My spirit will help you. You don't need to fret about that day. You don't need to wonder about that day. When that day comes, God's spirit will equip you to make a defense for Christ, like the apostles, to open your mouth to proclaim Christ as my Lord, to open your lips to rejoice in your salvation in him. Peter before the Sanhedrin, Paul before Festus and Felix and Agrippa. Some of you have seen Simonetta Carr's book on church history for children. It's a great resource. She speaks in that book of Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, arrested, tortured, curse Christ and you will live. He says 86 years he has loved me and I have served him. How can I deny him now as he's put to death? We may not know about Perpetua and Felicitas, a noble woman and a slave from Carthage, Tunisia, Young mothers, one of them had just given birth to a baby. Days later, they're killed for refusing to deny their faith in Christ. That's not something just in them. That's the spirit of God working. Today, Emmaus, you have the spirit of power. Today, you have courage to live in obedience and confess Christ. Today, you're here to worship. Today, you're here to take the Lord's Supper. Tomorrow, tomorrow. That might seem bleak. Tomorrow the spirit will give you power and courage then. Grace that is new every morning. Spiritual courage is fearing the Lord. Knowing you are God's treasured possession. It's not just for the martyrs. It's for your daily walk in an evil world with the indwelling sin that's churning up within us to acknowledge Christ. To know that not everyone will love you. They may hate you, they may really hurt you, but Christ is your Savior. You are his treasure. He will, it says, confess you before his Father in heaven. Isn't that an amazing promise? That fear that 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 frees us from fears of what people may do. Jill is mine. Jim is mine, Jesus says to the Father. I'm not ashamed to call him my brother and her my sister. For the joy set before me, I suffered and died for them. You are mine. I will make you stand in my presence blameless and with great joy. That's what he says to the Father. That's what he says by his word. That's what he says to us. You are mine. God, help me when I have struggled with denying Christ. Help me when, like Peter, I have been so cowardly. Help me to cast your bread on the waters, trusting that we will see the fruit of it, Ecclesiastes 11. Help me to build bridges with unbelievers. Help us as a church to be a blessing in the darkness of this community. Save the people, God, you have for yourself in this city. Help me to take up my cross and follow you. How do we live? How do we face persecution? Jesus says, deny yourself. You can't confess Christ as Lord and say, I'm Lord as well. That's impossible. God, right now, I don't want to deny myself. I want to say and speak my mind to my wife. That's what I want to do. I want her to listen. I want my husband to be ashamed for what he just said to me and what he just did. And I want to rant against my kids. I don't want to serve anyone right now. I want out of this marriage. I want to fornicate. Jesus says, not deny yourself like Buddha. Not new age. Christ is the difference. He frees you and me from sin to live for him. He became a man and denied himself the glories of heaven. He fulfilled the law and denied himself the pleasures of sin. He died on the cross and denied himself protection from pain. I'm united to him. Holy Spirit, help me. I don't know that former me anymore. I know my sin is still indwelling me. I know I struggle. Oh God, help me to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection. Take up your cross. Die to sin. Live to God, the Spirit's within you. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Where does the cross lead? Is the suffering worth it? To carry your cross in our world means taking a stand for marriage and the sanctity of life. It's becoming more costly. One person said that abortion is the demonic parody of the Lord's Supper. This is my body, but with blasphemous meaning. Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Abortion says, this is my body, my choice. I will treat it as I want it's an attempt to deify ourselves into modern gods. To follow Jesus may cost you friends, your business. It may cost me. It may cost you your life. But to save your life is to lose it. To lose it for Christ is to save it. Jesus would say to the one living in unrepentant sin, how important is it for you to receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life? How important is it for you? Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest. Come to me, and I will give you the grace of repentance. There's a cost to everything. There's a cost to following Christ. There's a cost to not praying with our wife each day and for our wife. There's a cost to not praying for our husband and with our husband. There's a cost to not coming to worship. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Where does Paul say the suffering leads? To the resurrection. Christ rose, we share in his sufferings, and we will share in his resurrection from the dead. When you respond this way by God's grace, as you are persecuted, Emmaus Road, it's worth it. You will receive the rewards of God's grace. We don't know what happened to those 12. They were sent out. How did people respond? You know that you're not given a detailed summary other than to say those who rejected them rejected Christ and rejected God and those who received them. What does it say? Verses 40 to 42. Even if they gave a little one a cup of water, that smallest act of discipleship in Jesus' name Is as if they're doing it for Christ Himself. Nothing you do, Emmaus Road, is unimportant. Serving and loving these little ones in the nursery and teaching them in Sunday school and raising them in your home, moms and dads, is honoring to the Lord. He will reward this by his grace. He will give you perseverance to the end. Emmaus Road, don't spend your life trying to avoid persecution. Don't leave here and say we got to hide from it. We need grace and wisdom and savvy and innocence and the Holy Spirit to endure whatever awaits. Press on. Keep on pressing on. Like the disciples themselves, we can count it a joy. They rejoiced that they were worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. May God give us that same heart and joy. That fear of the Lord. The French Huguenots in the 1600s were certainly given that Holy Spirit, given courage. Following the teachings of French-born John Calvin, they sang to the Lord. They rejoiced as they were led to the stake. Their persecutors tried to stop their singing and gag them. They burned by the fire the cords that were in their mouths and they started singing again. The masses saw them being led to the stake and many were converted. Their persecutors saw that and in order to stop the conversions from happening and stop the singing, they cut their tongues out of their mouths. And the last one to die went singing. How do we respond when persecuted? Lord, open my mouth and my tongue will declare your praise. And he sang, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.